welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, today we're going to continue with a Lost in Translation series. That's what we call it. And this is one of my very favorite things that we do because Awaken holds at the core of its identity um, that we endeavor to be this place that uh, the safe space for people to ask tough questions. The cute little voice in the video at the very beginning says that every time. Um, I'm sure it's on, it's maybe if we've, I don't know if we've hung back those things yet, but um, it's all over the place that that's who we want to be. And I see this series as us kind of walking the walk for that statement. Um, we would, we're essentially doing a lot of the tricky, tricky passages and tricky subjects that a lot of churches would like to avoid, and they, they're avoided for, for understandable reasons. They're pretty, they get pretty dicey. Uh, sometimes it's the story itself that is difficult to understand. A couple of weeks ago, we did a story about the prophet Elisha and how he becomes a bear whisperer and calls two she-bears out of the woods to maul 42 children because they called him Baldy. That's actually in the Bible. And so we talked about what is going on there. And then uh, sometimes it's not the story itself, sometimes it's just the topic. Uh, we talked about the loaded word sanctification last week, and we, we kind of uh, simplified that down to understanding that that's how we change when we begin to know God. If you want to hear any of the rest of these series, feel free to check out the Awaken podcast. You can find it on awakencommunity.com. Uh, you can hear Micah's melodious voice on your way to work, driving, whatever you'd like to do. You can also find it on iTunes. Uh, there's my other shameless plug. So, um, oftentimes, regardless of whether it's a story, whether it's a topic, uh, there's often a question hiding behind a lot of Bible stories, especially in the Old Testament. And that question is, what do we do with this when elements of it don't really reflect what we know to be true about the world? Put more, uh, maybe crudely or easily, do you really expect me to believe this? Engaging this question today, uh, we're going to do that today with a very popular Bible story that, that fits the bill of, that makes you, definitely would make you question or ask that specific question. Usually we stand when we read scripture, and if that is an important part of the way that you interact in the, with, with the text and important with the way that you worship, I'll definitely invite you to do that. But Micah's not here, Jane's not here, and newly appointed Pastor Jenna is not here either. Um, and so... Uh, it's just us kids, and you, you, you won't tell on me. So I'm going to read um, a long story, and so the invitation for you this morning is to try to hear this as if you're hearing it for the first time. For many of us, it's not, and I totally recognize that, but let's, let's try it. Um, try to imagine the, the sights, the smells, the sounds of what it would be like to be in these different scenarios in the story. Uh, you can close your eyes. You can, um, if, you're, if you're hard of hearing like me, you can, we'll have it on the screen. Um, so just sit back and relax, and I will read you the story of Jonah. Okay. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. 
Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we cannot perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots. It's kind of like rolling dice. Uh, Let us cast, cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What... From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship God. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me in the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. They didn't want to murder him, so instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Continuing on, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depth of the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred, beneath barred me in forever, but you... Lord, my God, brought me up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you, to your temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Please pray with me. Father God, I pray in this space this morning that we might see old things as new things. I pray that for this text and I pray that for ourselves. Help us to see inside about the things that motivate us, these questions that we ask ourselves, God. And help us to to hear you. We invite your spirit in this place. It's in your holy and loving and strong name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. All right. Questions are important. You might have a lot of questions after hearing what I just read, and you should because it was weird. It was. Um, The questions 
that you're asking about a Bible story, and I would extend this to a personal experience and anything in your life, the questions that we're asking demonstrate where our priorities are. Said differently, the questions that we ask ourselves, whether it's with the Bible or anything in life, it demonstrates where our perspective is. We engage the world through these underlying questions that are always with us. And we'll explore that a little bit today. First, I wanted to say, often with this story, you hear people talking about Jonah and the whale. And there's a popular distinction that's made where people uh, adjust their glasses and adjust their tie and they say, well, actually, in the original Hebrew, it doesn't mean whale, it means fish. As if somehow that's some really important distinction that changes something for somebody. Which, if it does for you, great. But I've actually heard arguments, and you hear these things in seminary, I have heard arguments between master's students about what breed of fish swallowed Jonah. Well, certainly it was a whale because whales breathe oxygen. Jonah needed oxygen to get in. And, and I'd like to suggest this morning that if your primary focus is explaining away some of the peculiarities of the Bible, you, the threat is that you, you're on the cusp of maybe missing the point. In other words, if you're stuck with the question, do you really expect me to believe this after what I just read? First of all, you're completely justified. Let's, we can count some of the strange things that happened that, even beyond the whale. Did this man really hear God speak to him and tell him to go to some distant land? How did these dice-like things that, they, that the sailors were throwing actually predict the right guy that was causing, causing the problem, right? Well, what's the probability that that would actually work? How was Jonah asleep? This is the one I want to know. How was Jonah asleep in the bottom of a ship if it was being tossed about and threatened to break up? That's not something you usually can nap through. And then there's also that whole living, breathing, praying whilst in a live whale, fish, whatever. I would like to suggest that while those are completely valid questions, if those are the only questions that you're asking, we might be asking the wrong things. If your questions regarding the Bible, which is weird, beautiful, but often very confusing in its complexity, if that's constantly informed by this desire to make everything fit into a neat and clean box of what is logical and what makes sense, because that's nice, I'm making the suggestion today, and it's merely just the suggestion, that today you ha could have the threat of missing some of the life-giving, God-breathed truth of these words. Now, before you say that I'm a heretic and you take out your phone and you email Micah, Micah at awakencommunity.com, um, that he needs to, that, his, uh, that his, his intern is a heretic and he needs to fire him and find a new youth guy right away, I'm not saying there wasn't a whale. I'm not saying that at all. I think there very well might have been, or a fish, or whatever. But I'm saying that I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about that because there's so much more in the story that speaks to the love and the truth and the life that we have today that we're blessed with. And so maybe this is a new approach to you, but I'm going to try to demonstrate some of this just a little bit. And we can look at how we might read this in a different way using our story of Jonah. So, while it might seem a little uh, hard to relate to, let's, let's go back and over bird's eye view of the story of Jonah so far. 
It's a story of a person who runs away from God because he didn't want to go to a nation filled with people who were known for killing and other acts. There were storms, literally, in his life after he tried to run from God. He gave up on living completely, was thrown into the dark depths of the ocean, which, friends, if we remember, the ocean for the people who wrote this story, the Hebrews, as well as the people who would have heard it, ocean is always reminiscent and representative of chaos. So in this story, we li- Jonah has literally reached the point where he's been thrown into chaos. And in that certain death, God rescues him and brings him out of it. And in his lowest moments, he cries out to God when he realizes that he's reached his end. And God delivers him right back to the path on where he's supposed to be. Like, that'll preach, right? But like, what kind of fish was it, though? Like, that's, do you see how sometimes maybe that's getting in the way of what, what, we're, what, we're, trying to, what we're trying to get at? I'll summarize Jonah 3 for you, the third chapter it basically goes as well as humanly possible. And I'm not being facetious. Like, what God is asking Jonah to do is go to this foreign nation whose wickedness had risen up before God, whatever that means. It sounds pretty bad. They have, he's tasked with going to the king in that entire city, which they reveal is like 125,000 people. And he's basically saying, hey, God came and spoke to me and says you should change everything about the way that you live. And these were people that were going to be potentially violent. He wasn't sure about his safety. He shows up to them, and uh, the king and the rest of the Ninevites, essentially, they respond with, oh, really? My bad. And they completely change everything about the way that they do it. It's like, that goes remarkably well. And so mission accomplished, right? That's often how the story is taught in Bible school. So, you know, Jonah is scared. He runs away from God. He gets thrown in the water, swallowed up by the fish. He realizes he was wrong and says, God, I'll do what you want. And then he gets spit up on the shore with his, his faith revitalized, runs into Nineveh. They change their ways and happily ever after, chalk one up for Team God. But let me read you how this story actually ends. Jonah 4 goes as follows once it loads on my phone. Jonah 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He's talking about afterwards, God like saves this entire city and everything is great. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall, or tell, I guess, by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Like, what? But the Lord God replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. I'm sure any of us would be. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. 
But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And that's how it ends. Like, that's how the story of Jonah ends. And if you're anything like me, you first read that. In a, we read that, we were studying it in a, in a class that I was taking, and a room full of seminary students who are supposed to know all the answers just kind of looked at each other like, we don't really remember that ending because people don't really talk about it. And if you're anything like me, you're kind of focused, kind of stuck on the whole leafy plant thing where God pump fakes Jonah and says, here's a plant, just kidding. I sent a worm to chew it down and then sent scorching winds on you. It seems mean, right? I think that this fourth chapter changes everything that we can know about this story. Here's why. It's often assumed that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he figured he'd be captured or hurt or something like that. We already know God said the Ninevites were wicked. But if Jonah was worried about that potential rejection of the Ninevites, then why was he so upset? He could walk off into the sunset feeling great about how he had this revitalized faith and had saved these entire groups of people. So why was he so angry? I'd like to submit to you today because like I talked about, the questions that we're asking demonstrate where our priorities and they dictate our perspective. Jonah was asking the wrong question. Jonah's question was, what happens when I'm not on the in crowd? See, Jonah was a good Jew and he was one of God's chosen people. All of a sudden, this wicked group of people, the city of Nineveh that his people hated, all of a sudden, he's going to get sent there to preach. And Jonah knows God's going to be nice to these folks, but Jonah doesn't want God to be nice to the Ninevites because they're the bad, they're the bad guys. They're the bad team. We don't need them because we are the good, the good ones. That's how I have my identity, he would say, because I am one of the chosen people of God. So all of a sudden, if God chooses everyone, then where does that leave me? This question... You can see it throughout the story is dictating what he's thinking. It's why he runs away. It's why he gets so mad when God expresses ultimate kindness. And again, I've heard weird conversations. I've, I, this, I'm not making this up. I have heard seminary conversations about what type of plant God raised to shield Jonah. People were like, of course it was a fern. I was like, of course it was. Oh. I said, no, it's a hosta, and then you just stick to it. <laughs> um, we can see, though, that I think if we focus on certain details about how crazy things might seem, you say, well, of course it is. Of course that's how the way that it happened, and we need to just focus on the fact that it happened, and that's the amazing thing about it. But I, I feel like if we combat it with that, if we, if we try to break apart the text in this way, we're going to miss something, because... Here's what's really important that we can notice about the story of Jonah. Every time there's a struggle in this story, Jonah goes back to a life oriented around that wrong question, that identity that that question breeds in him. When he finds out that he, this good Jew, is supposed to go minister to this evil city in which he knows God will deliver them, he says, I'm going to run away, and I wish I died. He says that on the boat. 
And then, when he's in the clutches of certain death, he turns around and says, well, you know, I guess I should, I, I guess I'm on the right place. He gives that, that entire ultra, ultra long second chapter that I read where he's talking to God from inside the whale. He says the right things and it gets spit it back up. And I'm sure that he believed it because he realized the glory of God. But then things get hard again because it doesn't happen like he wants it to happen. As soon as God shows mercy on all these people, he sits down and he pouts because his life is still from the perspective of this question of what about me? He's not asking those right questions. He runs from God and he wants to die and then he gets mad at a plant later and wants to die again. Keep in mind, he said the same thing twice. I want to die. It's better for me to die. He rejects life when it doesn't go his way. And it's not about pouting. That's not what this is about. This is about realizing where your perspective comes from. And although God saved Jonah, this is where I think the crux of this story is, we know all about God saving Jonah with the whale. And all, but although God saved Jonah from running away once, at the end of the story, him sitting there pouting, we have Jonah running away from God all over again. Instead of witnessing the love, this ultimate love and mercy of God on this entire city, he's blinded by that wrong question that's dominating his life. Now I'll invite John, Mark, and the band up. Um, and we're, we're going to do this thing, this, this time of silence. We do this often, and maybe listening for the voice of God sounds as weird to you as being swallowed by a whale. And so I would just invite you that if this is the only quiet moment you have in your life, take that as, please receive that as a gift from us to you. Um, but I would invite you to consider these questions and, and, and we can ask God to maybe speak into these things for us. What questions are dominating your life, determining your perspective? What questions are affecting the way that you see the world and others around you? Maybe for you the questions are, why can't I seem to be like that person? They seem to have it all together. Or maybe, why can't I get these people to like me? I just, I don't understand. Those are valid questions, but I would offer counter questions. What do I have in my hands that I can use to bless others? Instead of, why can't I make this person like me? What about me? What about me, God, can I bring to this world that nobody else can? Asking these questions, reorienting the questions to reflect the hope and the love that we have in God. I would argue we're seeing the wrong side of it on Jonah. We can see in this story what happens when questions dictate, a, the wrong questions dictate a person's life. So I would invite you that maybe today, for you, it's like it is me often. The big question that defines your life is what if? What if the people don't like my sermon? Like, what, if, what if nobody comes to church on Sunday? What if, what if I don't get that promotion? Or what if, I don't, what if my car isn't as nice as everybody else? Or what if I get rejected by those people? What if I finally open up to somebody and they don't care? Instead, I would invite us today to consider an alternative question. God, what do you have for me? What do I have in my hands 
that can lead me into a brighter and better future. So I would ask you today, the questions that are dominating your life, are they leading you to more life or are they the wrong question? Please pray with me. Father Jesus, we thank you for the things that we have that we hold in our hands and I pray that we would have the honesty and the hope and the love to see ourselves the way that you see us, God. That our questions might reflect your hope for us, not our worries of ourselves. And Holy Spirit, we invite you in whatever way that means, we invite you to speak to us in our moments of quiet. We know that we worship a God that leads us into greater, larger, more beautiful things. May we not be defined by our own questions that keep us back, but may you, friends, instead be defined by the questions that pull you into God's glorious future. Join us for tailgating afterwards. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakeningcommunity or on Twitter at awakeningcommunity. See you next time.